Hi, good morning. Hi, my name is Lois. Um, can I add my own really warm welcome to anyone who's new or visiting us? We love visitors. I hope it's not uh, too creepy to say that we hope you stay and never leave. <laughs> You'll be here forever and ever. Um, so I, th- we consider ourselves a family here. And so for however long you're with us, do make yourselves at home. Um, so just to get you up to speed, if you are new, we're in the middle of a teaching series on the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. And uh, at the moment, we're in a chunk where we're looking at the Apostle Paul talking about our church corporate gatherings together. Last week, we heard about the Lord's Supper. And this week, we're looking at spiritual gifts. <laughs> so... A relevant context for us today is that the relationship between the Apostle Paul and the Corinthian church was breaking down. It was breaking down. He was writing this letter. It wasn't the first letter. It's the first letter we have, but it wasn't the first letter. There was an exchange, a heated exchange, in which the Corinthian church were beginning to reject his authority. And he wasn't bothered by that because he was proud or controlling. He was bothered because if they rejected his authority, they were rejecting his gospel, and that mattered. And a number of things in the Corinthian church were going wrong as a result of that rejection. And one of them, which we're looking at today, was spiritual gifts. So the point of contention was spiritual gifts. And actually, the argument that Paul makes spans three chapters, and we're not going to be able to look at all of them today, but I just wanted to give you a quick overview. Chapter 12, which we are looking at today, Paul uses it to relay some foundations. And in chapter 13, he gets to the root problem. You'll know that passage. That's the passage everyone reads out on a wedding day. It's about the importance of love, but he hammers this home because that's the root of their problem. They've turned their back on love. And then in chapter 14, he, gets, he finally gets to the symptom, the symptom of that root problem, which is the lack of love. And the symptom is they are abusing the gift of tongues. It's that one of the spiritual gifts is a gift of tongues, and they're using it wrongly. And really, because tongues is great, Paul is very much at pains to say tongues is great, but they have elevated it amongst all else. They love speaking in the tongues of angels, and that nothing makes any sense. You're getting unbelievers who are coming into their church, not knowing what's going on and leaving again, not even hearing the name of Jesus. So we're not going to focus on the kind of technicalities of the use of tongues, but you'll all be very pleased to know that because of that, Andy O'Connell has written a blog post so that we can all be informed about the right use of tongues. So if you're interested, head to the website, not now, but you can head to the website, have a read. It's really good. It's really comprehensive and really helpful. So please do have a read. We're not going to cover that in this series. So chapter 12 is where Paul relays these foundations. Let's read it together. If you've got Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians, but I'll also put it on the screen for us. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, which many of them were, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. 
Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines And then from verse 12, he talks about unity and diversity in the body, which continues on this theme of everyone being needed, everyone being involved. It says in verse 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We are the body of Christ. In verse 15, it says, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. We must not discount ourselves, basically. And in verse 21, it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So we must not discount others either. And when I was praying about today, I asked God to speak to me about what he wanted to do, and he showed me a picture. um, And it was a picture of a man walking through the Arctic on his own. And eventually, on his journey, he stopped, and he takes out this tool, I don't know if you can imagine the one I mean, which helps you to cut painstakingly cut a hole in the ice and it takes him quite a long time quite a lot of effort and once there's a hole there he gets his fishing rod out of the backpack and he starts to fish he's hoping to catch the fish that he needs for dinner that day and I think for some of us our spiritual lives can feel a bit like that firstly it's a journey that we most often make alone It's an internal, personal journey. And we go about that journey, and every now and again, we become really aware of our need for God, of our need for sustenance. But it often takes us a great deal of effort to get through a whole bunch of stuff before we get what we need. It might be tiredness, guilt, doubt, disappointment, confusion, hurt, whatever. And then maybe you get something, but it might be a bit dissatisfying. And it's certainly not a varied and balanced diet. And tomorrow, when you next come to stop, the ice is still there. You go through it again. You know? 
I don't know if you can relate to that. Is that what we are to expect? In our passage, Paul paints a very different picture of what spiritual life amongst us is supposed to look like. It's varied, it's diverse, it involves everyone. We're together. And my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would bring revelation to us about that. Do what he needs to do. We don't want this cycle to continue any longer. So let's look at the two. There are two foundational points that I want to make that Paul uh, brings out in this passage. And the first one is that spiritual life among us is all for the glory, the love and the glory of Jesus. It is all for the love and glory of Jesus. There is no other reason why the Spirit of God is given. The Corinthians thought they could graduate from the gospel of Jesus. Jesus died to take our sins from us, that we might be friends with God rather than cut off from him, that we might have eternal life, that we might be saved. They were like, we know that. We've done that. We've moved on to higher things. Paul says, no. In the first few verses, he says, Brothers and sisters, remember when you were pagans? You had all sorts of weird and wacky spiritual experiences. And what is it that marks a genuine move of the Holy Spirit? It's Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God exists to speak, and what he says is Jesus is Lord. And the Corinthians thought they'd made it. They loved speaking in the tongues of angels. And Paul doesn't criticize tongues. He points out what's missing or who's missing. Where's Jesus? Unbelievers aren't even hearing his name. We are not supposed to change the subject. And I think we can so easily pursue the gifts of the Spirit, for any number of reasons. But the love and the glory of Jesus is the reason. And Paul relays this foundation because he wants the church to be effective. He doesn't want them to go back to their pagan ways. And here's the thing. No one is more effective than Jesus. No one changes lives like him. Nothing glorifies Jesus more Then his body, which is us, full of his spirit, walking in obedience with him, seeing lives powerfully impacted, seeing people set free and saved. It says in verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So life in the spirit, as described here, is not some side hustle of the faith. It's not a side hustle. This is the outworking of the gospel. This is it, team. This is it. This is what we've got. It's not a side hustle. Just in case we think it's enough to hold on to some doctrines and to say them again and again and again until we die. It's not enough. The work of the Holy Spirit is the way to honor Jesus. It is the outworking of the gospel. I think when we talk about the supernatural in particular, it's very easy to lose our minds. Okay? 
we can get mystical. We can get confused and skeptical. Like the Corinthians, we can exalt our individual experience to the angelic, like no one else can possibly understand what I've seen. Or we can write the whole lot off as unnecessary hullabaloo. Where, I don't, just wonder where you feel you might be in that. It is essential and fundamental, and it can get corrupted. And the simple truth is Jesus is the hope of the world. And he involves us in that hope. And we need the Holy Spirit for that. Amen? I've been learning this lesson the hard way, the slow hard way. I've been attending a supernatural ministry course. In fact, you have sent me on that course. Thank you very much. Um, It is a course in Bedford at a church called King's Arms. And I have been, you know, when I started going to this course, I was like, tell me the answer. Give me the keys to the kingdom. Tell me the truth of supernatural life. I want miracles. I want healings. I want it now. (laughs) This is the kind of thing I'm going through when in October I go to, I walk through the door. That's what I'm looking for. Give me the answer. There must be some kind of mystical answer. And in the first weekend, the lady who set up the course, a lady called Wendy Mann, uh, she said, you're going to hear a lot in this year about the supernatural. You're going to learn an awful lot of information. But I'm just going to sum it up in three pieces of advice. And I was like, brilliant. This is great. Lay it on me. The too long, didn't read version. I just want, I want that. I want the key. And she said this. Firstly, prioritize your relationship with Jesus above all else. Oh. Oh, Okay. Fine, I I, I knew that. Or at least I I think I know that. I was like, it was probably then the second thing. Then the second thing she says, be hungry for more of his spirit. Cultivate hunger for more of the spirit of Jesus. Okay, it must be the third thing that, that has the key. And she said, take some risks. Start to actually rely on that spirit that wants to make Jesus known. I'm not going to lie, I was quite disappointed. <laughs> I was expecting something better than that. But this is the thing. It turns out life in the spirit is saturated with Jesus. I can get fascinated by it and forget it's all about him. It would be a bit like if you receive this beautiful gift, you're given this big present, and you unwrap it excitedly, and you lift this amazing ornate ornament out, and you just wang it over there, and you keep the box. You're like, yeah, what a great box. (laughs) It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. That's what we can do with the Spirit. Um, this morning, so my, my husband is always at the King Centre. Always. <laughs> always playing something, fiddling with wires. And this morning, he had to be at the King Centre at 8.30. Thanks a bunch. So here I was. I was like, well, I better pray. I could come here and I'll spend the time praying. And as I was praying... I felt this little tune come into my head. It was, 
And I was trying to pray in the spirit, so I was like, oh, I'll go with it. And then I realized it was higher, 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 lift up Jesus higher. And obviously then lower, 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 Satan, lower. And so I thought you might like to know that this whole morning has been covered with my ecstatic singing of that at 8.30 in the morning. But I felt the Holy Spirit was wanting to say something. You know, rather than when we hear the word supernatural or school of the supernatural, we can get nervous, we can get, we can get all sorts of things. But let's just jump in with both feet because it's about lifting Jesus higher. We want to see him lifted higher. Okay, the second foundational point is that it leads on from the first. In order that Jesus may be glorified, the Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts to his body. That's us, to every single one of us. It says in verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And when I was preparing for today, I felt really strongly that what we need to be reminded of is why. Why does the Spirit give us gifts? We need to know that because that affects you know, what we do next, the passion with which we do something. But first, here's a bunch of reasons why he doesn't give them. He doesn't give them to elevate or isolate certain individuals. This is something he does in the body, for the body, connects us together. Like that man in the Arctic, we were never supposed to do it alone. We are never supposed to go it alone. He doesn't give them to individuals because they are deserving or because they're mature or they've worked really hard, it says he gives, he gives them to each one. It's his grace. And if we're to believe the second half of the chapter, we can expect that the greatest gifts will be given to those who seem to least deserve them. It's us who put people in boxes, not God. It is us who puts people in boxes. I want to see the greatest gifts given to people who have been written off, don't you? Come on, Lord. He doesn't give them so that we can feel important or impressive. It's not for our glory. Sounds obvious, but this belief is everywhere. It leads to pride as well as to false humility. He doesn't do it to prove his existence to us. You probably have had a similar experience to me where sometimes you're like, does God really exist? If only I could see a completely undisputed healing in front of me, then I would know. That's not why he does it. He doesn't give them to endorse a particular church movement. Um, The Corinthians were getting a whole load of stuff wrong, and they were still powerfully experiencing the Spirit of God. So if we, lest we get smug, if God shows up and think, ah, everything we are doing is perfect, we are wrong. It's the grace of God. He gives it in our weakness. So the truth lies actually somewhere in this phrase for the common good, why he gives gifts. And there's more behind that. He loves people. He loves people. And people are in desperate need. And when he meets, he powerfully meets people's needs, Jesus is glorified. Yep. So I felt like I needed to hammer this home for us. So why does God give a a gift of wisdom? Is it so that we can seem really clever and intelligent? No. 
it is because even now, even here in this room, there are people who desperately need help making decisions and to find a way forward. Why does God give a word of knowledge? Is it so that we can demonstrate how good we are at mind reading? No, it's because people need to know that they are known by God, that they are seen and noticed and loved. As part of this uh, course in Bedford, we've been, Simon, uh, one of our elders, is doing the course as well. We've been going out on the streets of Bedford in order to prophesy over people, which sounds like it would be terrifying. And in some ways it, it, it is, but what's overtaken the terror is the excitement at having seen. Hasn't it? Hasn't it? It's been amazing. God has done some incredible things. And um, yeah, I mean, ask Simon and I afterwards. There's lots of stories. But one, of, just in terms of words of knowledge, one lady in our group had, gave a really bold word of knowledge to a man that she saw, just a random man she saw, and she said, I feel like um, God... God just told me that you suffer from schizophrenia. She kept going. Suffer from schizophrenia, and you really need peace today because you're just sick of the voices that are troubling you. And he just started weeping because it was spot on. And in my mind, I just think, how much would it have meant to him when he was at the end of his tether where his mind was working against him, to know that the God of the universe sees him and knows him. And they were able to pray with him and minister to him. Yes, Jesus. Amen. We're given these gifts for a reason, because people need to know. Why does God give the gift of faith? Oh, Because life is hard. It is a broken world. And we forget that we have a hope. And sometimes, it's, you know, it's very easy for us to say, oh, we have a hope. But sometimes God will give a gift of faith that somebody will declare the hope we have in Jesus and our spirits will recognize it and will be stirred out of despair. Why does God give a gift of healing? Is it so that we have really amazing stories to tell? No, it's because people are sick. Especially at the moment, people are in pain, they're dying, they're bound up by depression, they are isolated by the illness that ails them. These are all the things that Jesus did when he was on earth, because he had compassion for people who were sick. Why does God give miraculous powers? I'll try and speed up now. Because some of us need things that are impossible. Why does God give prophecy? Because we need to hear his voice. How many times have you come to a church meeting or gone to a conference and you're like, I just need to hear him. And if only someone would just take a risk and have a go and speak to me and help me. Why does he give the gift of distinguishing between spirits? Because we have an enemy who will stop at nothing to bring us down. We have, some people in our our congregation have stories where they have suffered and been bound up by something for years and no one's been able to help them. And they've had to like go on a pilgrimage of their own and go and find people who can. And this gift is given so that you might look no further than the family. 
I've got a, my best friend uh, is a worship leader, and last week, so in recent years, she uh, her voice has been affected by a virus she had, and she also has, oh, ever since I can remember, has had a really um, swollen thyroid, and we just sort of accepted that was, you know, it didn't necessarily cause her any trouble. It was just visibly large, and last week, someone in her church came up to her and said, "There is a spirit that is silencing you." And she didn't feel anything. She was like, oh, okay, fine, and submitted to some prayer, went through some prayer together. But when she got home, and I noticed it too, when she got home, her neck was a normal size. (laughs) We're still like, what does this mean? We talked about this on Thursday. And basically we said, well, we, we agreed we needed to pray that something amazing would happen with her voice, that God would use it in new and powerful ways to glorify himself. These things exist for a reason. Praise God for that person who just came over and said something that sounded a bit weird, but made all the difference. Why are tongues given? Because our words are limited and the Spirit wants to connect with us and communicate with our spirits directly to a depth not yet known. And the interpretation of tongues is given so that others might be blessed by that exchange. And glorify God. And this isn't an exhaustive list. This isn't supposed to be Paul saying these are the spiritual gifts and that's it. The reason why he gives a list at all is to say to the Corinthians, look, you think it's just tongues, but there is so much more. And the variety of it in the body means that actually in reality, we can expect the number of manifestations to match the number of people in the room and exceed it. But the key thing is this, gifts are given to us because we're supposed to love one another with them. And not just one another, but those who aren't yet part of the body. Not about showing off or proving we're spiritual, not about status, not about proving God's here or that he's real, and they're not about proving we're a great church. So the question is really, do you love Jesus' body enough? Do you love people enough? to ask the Holy Spirit for a gift and to have a go at using it. Or to dust off gifts that you have and start using them. You might not want to because you're worried that you'll come across as proud or that you will look silly if you get it wrong. Maybe you've discounted yourself and maybe others have discounted you. Maybe you think your gifts aren't particularly useful. These are all lies. Here's my encouragement to us. We need to walk together and not alone. And expect that the Holy Spirit will meet our needs, often, through the gifts of others. Um, I'm just looking at Erica. I'm just remembering um, Erica subtly disciples me at all times. She pretends she's my friend, but really. <laughs> um, we had dinner together recently, and we were talking about the fact that we, there's a lot we don't understand about the supernatural. And she, just, and she said, oh, do you know, there's something I've been thinking about recently. Perhaps you could pray and see if God has anything to say about that. And there was something really great about her believing in me, about her believing in the Holy Spirit in me. Let's do that with each other. If you really need to hear God or you're like, do you know what? I've never had a prophetic word. Ask somebody because they've got the Holy Spirit in them. 
Um, we need to celebrate the anointing of others, not get jealous or competitive or compare ourselves to them. Their gift is a gift to you. And we're not supposed to be the same anyway. We need to expect that we will receive gifts. It says to each one a gift is given. So if that has not happened for you, it will. We need to expect it. Everyone gets the Holy Spirit. It looks different for every one of us. And we need to celebrate risk as well as success. This isn't covered in the passage, but fear so often gets in the way because we think we have to get it right. And I, for one, would much rather somebody share a bold word of knowledge from the front that seems to fall completely flat. Because what if it was right? (laughs) Imagine if there was someone here who got a really specific word of knowledge that just changed their course of history. It's worth it, isn't it? It's worth just feeling a little bit awkward. John Stott, in writing about this passage, says, To be truly spiritual drives a person neither to ecstasy nor individualism, nor to otherworldliness, but into the life of the local church as an expression of his personal commitment to Jesus as Lord and to his body here on earth. So let's go back to this lone traveller. Getting a dissatisfying meal at great effort. What are we given instead? And I wanted to share a picture that was painted by Bev Jones, who is a prophet, by the way. Uh, She painted a number of weeks ago. So on the screen, for those who are listening, is a picture of, wow, how do I describe it? Um, A whole load of coals, hot coals, and flaming out from those coals is, is flames in the shape of the cross. What we get instead of this cold picture of loneliness is the closer we get together, the hotter we get. And the Holy Spirit in us takes the shape of Jesus Christ. So let's huddle. Let's be filled with the Spirit. Be hungry for more. Let's receive from each other, expect to give ourselves, and all for the glory of Jesus. Amen. I never sure quite what to say to finish. Amen. Um, <laughs> uh, so, we wanted to give this a go. We've got a good 20 minutes, and I don't want you to feel nervous, but essentially what we're going to do, we've, we've been given permission to break the rules today. Because the way that we, we do appreciate order, normally what we do is if somebody has something to bring, they'll come and they'll share it with the meeting leader who will weigh it up and will balance it with the other things that are going on that morning. But we've got 20 minutes now where kind of all bets are off. So what we're going to do is we're going to, if the band could come back up, we're going to have about three, four, five minutes just waiting on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be consciously listening to him. And what I want you to ask him, there are probably, there are probably I'd say, three things that he may, three categories of things he may say. He may tell you to say something. Okay, so he may pop something into your mind that he wants you to say. So, for example, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, 
maybe a tongue. Maybe he just wants you to be ready to bring an interpretation of a tongue, should there be one. But there'll be something that comes into your mind that you think, "Mm, maybe I need to say that. For others of you, it might be that he tells you to do something. For example, there's going to be opportunity to pray with people this morning. It may be that he just wants you to be ready to pray for people. It might be that he highlights somebody, if you look around the room, he might be highlighting somebody for you to go over and encourage. It could be anything like that. And lastly, it may be that he doesn't want you to do or say something, but he wants to give you something. He wants you to receive something. And in which case, if nothing comes, as in he doesn't tell you to do something, just wait on him. Maybe ask him, what do you want to give me today, God? 